Colossians chapter 3 and from verses uh, 1 through to 4. Let's hear then God's word together. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is God's word. Amen. Well, we've just um, been through the Thanksgiving experience, haven't we? And we're now about to enter into the full-blown holiday season. Soon enough, we'll be hearing all those um, Christmas songs. You know, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Whether or not it is, they'll be singing that one. You go to a mall and there'll be all the, you know, all the Christmas stuff. Santa will be making his appearance in downtown Wheaton. Christmas trees, lights, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Whether or not there are chestnuts and whether or not they're roasting on an open fire. We'll be singing about chestnuts roasting on an open fire. I've never done that in my life, but apparently it's a good thing to do. How do we make the most of the holidays? Or you might have right now thinking as you look ahead with something of a dread to these holidays. How do we survive the holidays? After all, it seems as if every year the pressures increase. Pressures to have a good time. Pressure to get or give ever more impressive or expensive presents. All this seems to increase Every year, innumerable children's events to go to at schools, Um, family expectations to gather for this event or the other event, friends, get-togethers and parties, all these expectations and pressures that seem to mount and increase every year around the holidays. And I don't know about you, but this year I'm asking myself this question, what on earth, what is it all for? What is it all about? Why do we go through it every year? And so this year, I want to remind us that the holidays were originally intended to be holy days. That's where the word comes from. Holiday comes from holy day, the holy days. They were set up to be special days when we can remember the real meaning of holiness, that is experiencing and practicing spiritual growth. And so this Advent season, this holiday season, I'm going to be leading us through a brief series in the book of Colossians chapter 3 and to the first half of chapter 4. And in this section, Paul, the author of this letter, is calling the Christians at Colossae, the city where this church was based, to become more like Christ. That's what he's urging them to do. Now, the reason why he's writing this letter at all is uh, to counter some false teaching that was going on in the church at Colossae at the time. 
And this false teaching was saying that the way to grow spiritually was to follow certain religious rules and have certain mystical experiences that comes from following those regulations and rules and ceremonies. And instead, Paul, in his letter, has shown them so far the majesty and mystery of Christ himself. As he puts it in chapter 1, verse 15 and following, He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God. By him all things were created. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is who Christ is, Paul is saying. And because this is who Christ is, therefore, chapter 2, verse 4, he wants no one to delude you with plausible arguments, this false teaching. Instead, the key verse of the whole book, chapter 2, verse 6, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. That is, as you started with Christ, so in the same way you now continue with Christ in holiness, in your spiritual development and spiritual growth. So Paul warns them against these plausible arguments, this false teaching, these various religious rules and rituals, philosophies and mysticisms, and they were allowing themselves to be judged by these false teachers. So he says, chapter 2, verse 16, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. But if these religious rules and mysticisms were not the way to grow spiritually or be holy, what was the way? And so we come to our passage this morning, chapter 3, where Paul is beginning to outline the real nature of holiness and the real way to achieve spiritual growth. He starts with a reminder in the first part of verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. It's important we pause there for a moment. We are so confused about holiness. And the main reason is that we misunderstand its necessary starting point. For us to please God and to be more like God, more like Christ, first of all, we need to be raised with Christ. That is, we need to experience being born again or having the new life that comes to those who turn from their sins and put their trust in Christ. So let me ask you, have you been raised with Christ? I remember one person that I was getting to know who had grown up at a Christian home. He'd gone to church from when he was just a baby from the cradle roll. And yet he's begun, begun to realize that while he knew a lot about Christian religion, he did not know what it meant to be, as Paul puts it, raised with Christ. For this person, it was all about doing the right thing, saying the right thing. And that was a burden he did not want to live with anymore, much less attempt to try even harder or become holy, as he thought was the definition of holiness in his own way of thinking. More effort, more rules, more religion. 
But he began to realize he got it all the wrong way around when he came across some real Christians. He got it all the wrong way around. He began to realize he'd been trying to raise himself up when really he needed to trust in Jesus so that he could be raised with Christ. See, this is something that happens to you. It is something you receive. Yes, it's something you need to ask for, but you cannot yourself achieve by your own force of will or effort or endeavor. It all starts with being raised with Christ and the power of his resurrection by the power of his spirit. Now let me ask you right now to ask Christ to raise you up, to make you new, to give you a new life with him. But then if you have been raised with Christ, Paul then in the second half of verse 1 gives us his first instruction about spiritual growth or wholeness. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So the first instruction that Paul gives these Christians in the church in Colossae and the first instruction therefore for us to make these holidays holy days is that we are to seek. We are to seek. Now we, we, we tend to think that when you're not yet a Christian what you need to do then is to seek. But Paul here is saying that Christians, Christians are to be seekers. Since we have been raised with Christ, now we are to seek. Because we are now born again, have a new spiritual life, therefore we're to use our wills, make a conscious choice to seek. What are we to seek? We are, he says, to seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Paul here is using language drawn from Psalm 110 to describe the victory that Jesus won when he died, rose again, and then ascended to be with God. And when he tells us then to seek the things that are above, Paul is meaning that we are to seek to please Jesus. Paul is meaning that this holiness, this spiritual growth, which begins with really becoming a Christian, being raised with Christ, must then start next with an active choice, a lifestyle of conscious and determined and joyful seeking. If you want to be more like Christ, if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to be holy, you must work at it. You must seek to be holy. You know, most Christians I find are about as holy as they really want to be. What Paul is exhorting us to here is a conscious seeking. In other words, right now, make a choice to seek to do what pleases Jesus. That difficult decision you are facing, seek to please Jesus. That spiritual battle to do what is right, seek to please Jesus. Now, behind this, there is a theology of holiness. Let me put it simply like this. When you are not yet saved, you cannot please Jesus. You cannot stop sinning. When you become a real Christian, when you are raised with Christ, now you can please Jesus. Now you can stop sinning, and therefore you are to seek to do so. 
One day when you're in heaven, you will not be able to sin. But now as a Christian raised with Christ, you face a battle. And the first step to winning that battle is to realize that you are in one. And that means you must determine as an act of will to seek. And yes, that means to work hard at it, to put in the effort. Our preachers tend to avoid telling Christians this truth. They think it will put people off. They want to put the cookies on the lowest possible shelf, make Christianity like the easy button. But anything that has any worth of attaining, that requires discipline and hard work. If you want to do well at school, it will take work. If you want to appear in the city orchestra, you will need to practice your violin. If you want to do well in the office, it will take work. If you want your children to do well, it will take effort to train them. Now, before you became a Christian, you did not have the spiritual power to please Jesus. You need to be raised with Christ. But now you do if you have been raised with Christ. And so Paul is now saying, exercise your regenerate, born-again will and seek to please Jesus. Put in the effort. Work hard at it. You are being called to do so this morning from God's word. Seek that which is above. Seek to please Jesus. And you say, well, how? Well, in what way? What sort of seeking am I to do? Well, Paul begins to answer that question with his next instruction in verse 2. You must be raised with Christ and then seek. And now, verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You know, the most important way to become holy, to please Jesus, is not only to aim to do so, to seek, to be disciplined, but most of all, to set your minds on things that are above, not on earthy things. It is a battle of the mind. The mind needs to be focused upon, filled with, fascinated by the things that are above. That is what pleases Jesus rather than the things that are on earth. What does he mean by the things that are on earth? Well, Paul defines that in the verse immediately after our passage this morning in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So by the things that are on earth or what is earthly in you, he means sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. So that means Paul does not mean the practical matters of this world. Paul nowhere teaches that the Christian is not to think about practical matters such as how to care for your family or how to have a good career or how to do well at school or how to be an economist or a banker or a baker or mum or a dad. No, what Paul is talking about using the spatial imagery, this this contrast is the opposite of what pleases Jesus, the things that are above, which he now describes by contrast as the earthly things, or we may say simply, things that do not please Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying that the way to be holy, to grow spiritually, is to fill our minds with what pleases Jesus rather than what does not please Jesus. Now, Because some of you will know that I have one or two degrees from one or two universities, you'll be tempted this moment to think that I'm talking about something intellectual. 
but, the, but you've got to remember what Paul is writing and to whom he is writing. He is not encouraging them here to get college-level educated intellectual achievements. He doesn't mean that by mind. Remember to whom Paul is writing. He's writing to the church in Colossae. He's not encouraging them to get elite level education in theology. He's encouraging them to set their minds on things that are above. I, I remember one very educated man I, I got to know. Um, we had uh, worked together uh, for a project for a little while. He was an elite level professor at a city university. And after we'd been working on this project for a, a couple of weeks or so, he decided to take me and my friends back to his home to show us some hospitality. And we were grateful for this. And we we're looking forward to going with him to see his house and enjoy his hospitality. On the drive to his home, it was a long drive, he described all the effort he was putting in to building this perfect dream home of his. This addition he was putting on, this swimming pool he was going to put in, this way he was going to construct the aesthetics of the building and all the rest, how he was going to build this perfect dream home of his. Clearly, this was where his mind was set, was focused. And after you told us of all the money and all the expense and all the hard work and the time he was putting into this home, I just asked him one question. What will you do when you have completed it? And to that, he had absolutely no answer. It is easy, isn't it, for our minds to become focused on covetousness more and more, which is really a form of idolatry. And the solution to that is to think accurately or rightly. Never was this better said than by Jim Elliot. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You're not, lo- you're not losing. In other words, holiness, the battle for holiness starts with the mind, which means that being holy is the rational and logical thing to be. Holiness is not some masochistic, mystical nonsense. Holiness is the life that you were designed to live. It is what humans are really meant to be. Holiness is what makes sanctified common sense. And this is why the first step in holiness is to start to put our mind back in order. If our mind is set upon being wealthy... Well, what will we do when we have all that wealth? Play golf? What then? More golf? What then? If our mind is set on experiencing as much sexual satisfaction as we can, what we do when we get that? One of the strangest, but when you think about it, not surprising truths is how erectile dysfunction is increasing in proportion to the prominence of pornography. If you ate nothing but ice cream all day, all year, soon enough you would vomit. 
The founder of Playboy magazine pretended to be living a life of your wildest dreams, but actually, it is reliably reported, lived a life of profound sexual dissatisfaction. In other words, Paul is saying, think about it. Think about it. Trace out the consequences of your choices and your decisions. Trace out the consequences of those earthly things. And instead, focus on the things that are above and think about them. Set your mind on them. You know, in many ways, I think the best argument for the sweetness of holiness is to meet a holy man or a holy woman. And actually, there are many people like that at College Church. Find one. Spend time with him or her. Let the sweetness of their life commend to you pleasing Jesus. I won't give away the names for the sake of avoiding embarrassing the people involved, but I was much amused when a famous visiting preacher came to Trotter's church and told me afterwards that a certain very godly man had said something to him. I wondered who he met. When an individual came up to me afterwards and told me that he had said that certain something to this visiting preacher, I was amused that really I should have guessed who he meant. Set your minds on pleasing Jesus. There is a sweetness to it. There's a joy to it. There's a freedom to it. The great problem of living a lie is that at some point or other, you're going to forget who you said what to whom. It is so much less effort to live a life of integrity. Fill your mind with truth about Jesus. This is why we push good reading here at College Church. Get some of those books off the bookstool or from the library and read them. This is why we preach, why we do adult communities, why we do small groups around God's Word. For the health and holiness of a church and an individual is fundamentally correlated to what we think about. For when we think about Jesus and have our minds filled with the truth of Jesus, we will realize that pleasing Jesus is what actually makes most sense. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the only reason why a Christian would sin is because they're not thinking straight. They need to come to their senses and have their minds focused on the things that are above, on pleasing Jesus, and then they'll grow spiritually. This is why we constantly say, have a quiet time, have a devotional. This is why I write a daily devotional, fresh material every day. We need to be in God's Word, having our minds shaped by God's Word. And out of that comes fresh new life, spiritual vitality, the things that are above. That's hope and love and joy and peace and all that Christ is and all we are in Christ as we are raised with Christ. So we seek an act of will and in particular fill our minds with the truth and with what pleases Jesus. Well, you say, well, that's all very well, and I understand a bit more how now, first raised with Christ, or born again, or a real Christian, then seek, or an act of will, and then set my mind to what pleases Jesus. Yes, I can see how, but I still don't feel very motivated. I have a how, but I don't yet have a why. 
Why should I be holy? And so Paul concludes this first section on holiness that we're looking at in this first sermon in this new series, this Advent, by giving them the reason why in verses 3 and 4. Get this, look down at verses 3 and 4. He says this, for, that is, this is why, for, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the reason why we are to be holy is because of who we are as a Christian. In other words, at roots, at its most basic, holiness is a question of identity. It is a battle for identity. Who are you? If you are a Christian, Paul says, you have died. That is, by accepting Jesus as your Lord, you have died to the selfish self, with all its foolish desires to only want what you want in a selfish sense. You've died to that selfish self, and you've recentered your life around God, around Christ. You've put to death the self in rebellion against God. That's what it means to be raised with Christ. First you die to running your life your own way. That is what it means to be a Christian. The first step, it is who you are if you are a Christian. You have died to the selfish self. You have died. Who am I? In a certain sense, I has died. I am no longer on a journey to discover myself, please myself, approve of myself, and do what I like and what I want. All that has died, for Jesus is now my Lord. But is that it? Is that all that a Christian is? No, not at all. You have died, Paul says, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What a beautiful, enigmatic phrase But what does it mean? It means that you who really are, who you really are, is not yet fully revealed. When you look around College Church, what do you see? When you look around and you see this spotty teenager or this older woman or this person with this set of clothes on or this job or that job, what do you see? see. There's a certain sense in which you only see the surface. The true spiritual reality is still hidden from your eyes. There is the spiritual giant who is on his knees each night for your soul to fight through that depression that you experience. Do you see that? No, but God does. There is the person who seems to have life so easy and to be so successful and every day battles with critics and unfair accusers and must learn to forgive them every single day of his life. Do you see that? No, but God does. There is the person who visits the aged and the infirm. Do you see that? No, but God does. There is the person who quietly gives her widow's mite into the offering plate when no one else is looking, and it is all she has to live on. Do you see that? No, but Jesus does. There is the person who lives on only a fraction of his salary to support the work of the kingdom of God through college church. Do you see that? No, but God does. Does So much 
of the spiritual reality of the Christian is still hidden. And therefore, it is secure. When you are attacked or unfairly accused, when you're beaten down, there is a part of you, the real part of you, that no one can touch and no one can take away from you. For who you are is hidden with Christ in God. No abuser, no rapist, no bully, no murderer, no liar, no deceiver, no slanderer can take who you are away because you are in Christ and who you are is hidden with Christ in God. A Christian, understand who you are. You are a child of God. You are an heir of the treasures of all that Christ has won in glory. And so Paul concludes with that very thought in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What an extraordinary statement. Who am I? Christ is my life. When Christ, who is your life, Christ is my life. The Christian is not on a voyage of self-discovery. The Christian is on a journey of becoming more like Christ. Our task is not to discover who we are. It is to become who we were made to be. Who are you? Look at Christ. That's who you are. Who should you be? Look at Christ. That is who you are to aim to be. Christ is your life. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that your individual personality is unimportant. It means that your individual personality becomes as it is meant to be, as you yourself in Christ become more like Christ. Your task is not to discover who you are, but to become who Christ made you to be. And one day, one glorious day, then you also will appear with him in glory. Not now. Then, there's much about the Christian life now that is not glorious. There is a battle for holiness that we wage by our will, seeking to do what pleases Jesus, and by our minds, setting our minds on what pleases Jesus, and seeing that holiness is what makes sense. It is what is logically and truly the way we are made to live. And now then, in these last two verses, Paul gives the reason for it all, the motivation for it for. This is why you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. What an astonishing thought. The Christian, the one raised with Christ, dies to self, rises to new life. And then when Christ returns, will share in the glory of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You say, well, why be holy? Because of who you are. You are Christ's. You share his life. You have this future glory to come. You are made to be this person of Christ's likeness, for you are already in Christ. And your life is hid with Christ in God, and you will appear with him in glory. Let us pray together. First of all, will you take a moment now, perhaps you have not yet been raised with Christ, 
Oh, you've been to church. You know the rules. But you don't know the ruler. Would you ask Christ to raise you up, to give you new life in the quiet now? Perhaps you are a Christian, and yet, uh, if you're being honest, you've been very passive about your holiness, about your spiritual growth. And here comes God's Word, and it tells you to seek the things that are above. Would you make a fresh commitment this morning to seek to do what pleases Jesus? Perhaps your mind is set on all sorts of other things. Would you this morning ask God to help you to put your mind back into order? To read a good Christian book, to read the Bible. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you that if we have been raised with Christ, our life is hid with Christ in God. We are yours. This is who we are. And Lord, as we go out now into this world around us where there's innumerable opportunities to be distracted, innumerable videos and apps on phones and movies and all this media that bombards us all the time with different messages about who we are. Would you help us to remember this moment, this word, that who we are as our life is hid with Christ in God and we will appear with him in glory. And to live life that way, to live our lives that way. Lord, would you by your spirit give us that power to do so, we pray. Would you help us to seek the things that are above? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.